0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Footprints. This month, we're celebrating art in the landscape, and we have dug up a treasure trove of local artists to inspire you. Between them, they use watercolor, digital color, and acrylics. Their skills include painting, collage, and illustration. One creates exact replicas of her subjects, and another satirises his in cartoons. But despite their materials and techniques, they are united by the landscape, the great outdoors and the riot of colours, creatures and plants that live within it. We'll hear from Jessica Palmer, Perry Harris and Marion Hill. But before that, I wanted to get a perspective of how the Bath landscape has been depicted in art over the centuries. So who better to treat us to a whistle-stop history tour going back 300 years And Bathscape's manager, our very own Dan Merritt. He kindly took time out of his busy schedule to show me around the Victoria Art Gallery, which included looking in the drawers and finding centuries-old art painted before even the Industrial Revolution had taken hold. Here he is.
1: Bath is quite renowned for its its art in the landscape, even to the present day, I mean you're speaking to people later, but um, I think up until the kind of 18th century they always said that there was no kind of landscape art really of any note in Britain. And then the first kind of interesting things we find around here I guess is where we have the Book Brothers, Nathaniel and Samuel Book in the 1730s. And they were kind of traveling around the country doing panoramas, effectively, of of cities for for a commission. And Bath was one of the places they came to. And um, they've got it in one of the drawers here, so we can take a look at that. And if we look at their painting, or their drawing, rather, illustration, it actually has, across the bottom, it has the kind of history of Bath, and then this this kind of panorama taken from the, the southeast side of the city, so where it's the kind of National Trust hills and fields. And it's interesting because you can see how small the city looks.
0: It's tiny, isn't it?
1: But it's got this, this, the city in the kind of middle ground there, which still hasn't spread out to the river. Um, but in the foreground, we've got these kind of, well, we've got the rich people frolicking and almost picnicking. I don't think picnicking had quite been invented then, but effectively that's what they're doing. Then you've got the, always got to have some small boy shepherding sheep in these kind of kind of pictures. But there's also things we can tell. So it's got Ralph Allen's stone yard here, unloading the stone onto the boats in the river if you look there in the the corner. Um, So it's starting to tell us a bit about the the development of Bath. And also on the very left-hand side, it's got Beach and Cliff there, nicely treed, which of course still remains as a a kind of dominant treed feature within the city. They've concentrated on the middle ground, haven't they, on the the city here, which is probably what they're paid to do. And I can never pick out Kelston Roundhill in the back backdrop. I can't see it. I'm not sure whether this has just been a kind of one-size-fits-all backdrop they do.
0: It's a it's a patchwork of fields, isn't it? Stretching back into the distance, but definitely not something we're supposed to be looking at in this particular picture. So this is 1734. This is the time when Prior Park was being built. Ralph Allen was getting going with his um, Bath stone, yep. so some of which we can see in the in the landscape here in the buildings, but it's it's still in its infancy, isn't
1: it? It is, and it's also in the infancy for kind of landscape painting in the country. So you have, I think, in the 1750s, you have Edmund Burke and this idea of the beautiful and the sublime, where you have this the beautiful being kind of nice, soft, um, lovely, lovely countryside, and the sublime being this kind of inspiring awe and almost terror. Um, So we've moved from that very quickly into Gilpin's idea of the picturesque and Bath is associated with the picturesque kind of painters of the landscape. So as as artists were concentrating more on painting within England rather than on the continent had wars raging and things like that to stop them going over there it starts to become more and more popular as a subject and if you didn't go up to the Lake District then Bath was a good place to come and, and do those kind of paintings.
0: Yeah, we're, we're right in the big gallery upstairs, aren't we? We're surrounded by pictures of landscapes and men, I would say, wouldn't you?
1: Yeah, I mean, at the moment in front of us, we've got the, um, we've got the Thomas Gainsborough, one of his big portraits that he painted. So he came to Bath in, I think it was 1759, 1760, somewhere around there. Um, so kind of 20, 30 years after the Buck Brothers were here. And he came primarily as a, as a portrait Artist. He had had some success over in, in Suffolk before he came came over to Bath and in London. But here was the money because we had the tourists here over the season and they enjoyed having their portraits painted. So he rented in the circus and did these large portraits, but he was, his interests were very much actually in landscape painting. So, yes, I don't think they've got any landscapes of up, his, up here at the moment, um, but they do hold some.
0: OK. And
1: our next... I suppose, key artist at of the, of the time is Thomas Barker, who we have within the gallery here. There's a, a mixture of a portrait, of a self-portrait, in fact, with him painting a landscape. So bringing in the two factors, he was kind of better known as a landscape painter. Um, I think that Barker's moves to Bath when he was a teenager, but he was a successful artist, as I think was his brother and his nephew. So going out and doing these kind of picturesque landscapes and doing very well for themselves out of it.
0: What sort of year are we talking about now?
1: That's getting into kind of 1760s and, and, and beyond. Um, so up to taking us up into the kind of late 18th century. And they again, typically quite kind of brooding, dark pictures of valleys with trees and generally a, a sheep or two being shuffled through or a cow, lonely, <laughs> stood within them. So not something I'd like to have on my wall, frankly.
0: So we're nearing the end of the 18th century. Who do we go to next? <sighs>
1: I think the other one that's worth mentioning is probably Rowlandson. So he does his Comforts of Bath, this kind of wonderful book of pictures, which is um, more subversive. It's kind of cartoonish of people within the, within the city. Um, he has one, which I, like, I think it's called, it The Races or something like that, where they're going up the hillside near Lansdowne Crescent and being kind of pushed up by their servants and rolling downhill And It's all the kind of people who've come with various illnesses to the city. And uh, yes, lots of kind of portly gentlemen in, in his pictures. <laughs> which uh, I think that kind of subversiveness in art still, still remains with, yeah. within Bath.
0: Well, we've got our very own Perry Harris later. Yes, you know, yeah. uh, He's renowned for his cartoons and satirical cartoons of life in Bath.
1: Yeah, I think that's a very good balance, actually, of his you know, kind of lost tourists wandering around with seagulls flying around their heads in the city would, uh, to me, put me in mind of, of Rowlandson and that kind of view of the, the, under, the underbelly of uh, how we present the city.
0: I suppose this chap you've got in front of you, John Sire, this is like the heart of the Industrial Revolution now, isn't
1: it? It is, yeah, yeah. And you can see that the city's starting to spread because of that. We're starting to get more contours being built with crescents as well, kind of showing up within landscape as the city spreads up and out. But also it's a, it's a kind of different feel to this picture as well. It feels more kind of Victorian style. Um, and it's quite popular. Again, it's on the south side. Here we can see Kelston Round Hill very nicely tucked yeah. in the background.
0: And we can see right over to the Mendips, can't we?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It it's gives you a sense of that view, but still very much of this kind of city within its setting, this whole kind of thing of why it's a World Heritage Site within a green setting. It's quite well kind of brought out in these pictures. So there's the Sires in 1846, and then there's also um, George Robson, which is kind of 20 years earlier, where it's a bit smaller on the city, but you can see, like Lansdowne, road there kind of carving in and coming down to the city but they always have the abbey nice and central in these don't they so you can always
0: the abbey's absolutely enormous isn't it It, it is, sticks yeah. out way above everything else
1: It means you can always orientate yourself nicely in these kind of landscape pictures of bath
0: but this one so this john sire mm-hmm. this is 1846 and you can clearly see st stephen's church up on Lansdowne. but there's nothing above it is there so the tower of royal high school where i'm going to visit perry harris the artist hasn't been built yet
1: so there's nothing above
0: that is
1: there it doesn't look as though beckford's tower is there i can't remember the top of my head when beckford's tower would have been built but 19th century at some point um but unless it's over the curve of the hill which is possible because the st stephen's church is quite close to it then no it's not there it does seem very much as though the the city is stopping effectively kind of camden crescent kind of way and and kind of big patches of, of bare ground as well which have been since infilled yeah, with development yeah, yeah
0: that's fascinating
1: yeah it's great isn't it? it's nice to be able to kind of chart them from you know 250 years ago all the way through this kind of gradual increase and whether it's through the sketches the paintings until you start to hit photography um so yeah i love them i think they're fascinating and it? it's great to, to be able to have them in the in the gallery here
0: so 1846 where do we go next
1: let's go into the 20th century let's go into walter sickert
0: oh <gasps> Walter
1: Sickert yeah. tell me about him yeah, so Walter Sickert oh, he's, he's, he's famous for all sorts of reasons one of which being a suspected Jack, uh, Jack the Ripper possibly uh, I think that's unfounded frankly <laughs> so let's let's perhaps not go there but Walter Sickert um, came to the city in the 1910s and loved it so he was living up on Entry Hill and writes very warmly about it he's mostly did street scenes to be honest in the, in the city rather than landscapes um, he's buried over it in Bathampton in the churchyard there But uh, he writes about how much he loved the city, how he found it very kind of inspiring. Um, He says about walking down through the beech trees of Entry Hill and his, before breakfast, and he said it was like being in a German woodcut. But uh, I think it wasn't all artists that favoured the city. I know that he encouraged Nina Nina Hamnett, if you come across her, She was the kind of queen of bohemia in the 1920s, and uh, she was one of his students. And he bought one of her paintings so that she could survive and rent a place and he told her to come to Bath and, and she rented a place um, below Beach and Cliff. And he was, you know, kind of waxing lyrical about how good it would be for her here. And she stayed five weeks and said she was bored to death. So I <laughs> went back to her life <laughs> of hedonism. London,
0: London, <laughs> went I yes, yes,
1: exactly. Yes. Yeah, so uh, I think it was quite, of <laughs> slow. And then we also had, so I have John Nash come here. We just passed a John Nash as we walked in, wasn't it? Which is, yes. he did some nice paintings, particularly on the canal there. I think if I could choose one for my wall, one Of his would be, would be a contender. And then, I mean, even the kind of war artists as well. So, there's a nice one um, which they haven't gone to spare. We saw they had, they had a Norma Bull in the trays, but um, Norma Bull did one from Window the Circus when it was bombed. It was, it was kind of was it 1942 when they did the bombing of Bath. Anyway, kind of looking out there, and there's this big crater amongst those London plane trees that she does a, a nice painting of. And... Uh, I think John Piper as well did the, the church over at um, St. James's, which is Bond Out. So you've got this kind of recording of the city still through art right up to that time. And then of course, even today, you know, we have lots of artists working in the city. Quite a lot of them end up displaying here at the, the Victoria Art Gallery as well. So, yeah, it's, it's an interesting kind of evolution of art and the evolution of landscape.
0: It's fascinating. And if you come here, you can see... All the, the modern ones downstairs, can't you? As well as um, Jessica Palmer's beautiful exhibition called Wetland Spring, and we'll hear from her later.
1: Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. be great.
0: Well, funnily enough, Jessica Palmer is the first of our trio of artists. Jessica's clients include Disney, Pixar and English Heritage. And for the next six weeks, you can see Jessica's work in the beautiful entrance foyer of the Victoria Art Gallery. I headed down there to have a look and meet up with her.
2: I've had a very good response from the public. Uh, everyone seems to have enjoyed looking around and they've commented on how lovely the work is, uh, especially the colours, you know, the depiction of nature.
0: She's brought nature into your workplace, hasn't she? really?
2: Yeah, it's very relaxing. You know? It's nice to, to feel like you've got that connection with nature when you're, you're also working, you know.
3: So this is my first solo exhibition. Uh, I've done lots of group exhibitions in the past, but this was an opportunity to display a body of work that I began to develop during lockdown. Uh, I had originally thought I would do it all about meadows. So celebrating meadowlands, which are shrinking spaces in our country And trying to show the diversity and profusion of wild plants that are possible in meadows. And then my interests expanded into wildflower, wetlands, and other spaces where there's lots of water and sky and interesting light and weather effects. So, yeah, that's why it's called Wetland Spring. So, there's a combination of spring fields and flowers and wetlands emerging from winter spaces and it's absolutely beautiful it's a riot of color isn't
0: it stunning you've got birds flowers skies and as you say weather well come on and we'll you can describe some of the pictures for me but first of all just tell me how it all came about
3: well it all came about during lockdown, as many things do for many people, when you've got a period of time to reflect and consider, and all my projects dropped away, and I started applying unsuccessfully for Arts Council grants, but it allowed me to pull a lot of ideas together, and I was very interested in doing something which had an environmental message, if you like, but also was to combine my passions for working in collage and painted paper With painting as well. So some of these are watercolours, some are acrylic, some are depictions of real places and others are more imaginary spaces where I'm trying to convey the kind of magic of hidden places where creatures live that we can't necessarily see all in one go, but they're there, hiding from us.
0: And what drew you to wetlands and meadows in particular?
3: I think What drew me to wetlands is that idea of big skies and reflections on water and they are quite magical spaces because they're brilliant for carbon capture and in the past we had much bigger wetland spaces across the country. A lot of them have been lost, the Wildfowl and Wetlands Trust, who I work to support, have expanded those. They are marvellous for saving, for instance, the village of Steart on the north Somerset coast, where coastal erosion was about to wash away the village. Wildfowl and Wetlands Trust has created an incredible new extended wetland area, which helps save the village from being washed away, but also created a marvellous new space for wildfowl and wetland creatures to thrive. Of course, many people go to the wetlands to see the
0: birds.
3: Tell me about the birds. There's this beautiful egret here. I yes. think it's an egret, isn't it? Yes, it is an egret. And egrets are such pretty little birds. I was in, uh, on the Thames estuary recently, and there are all sorts of abandoned boats on this wild marsh space, and then suddenly you see this spot of white digging (laughs) around and that's an egret I mean they are amazing they're sort of much I think they're smaller than a heron but they are very pretty um you know easy to spot birds because they're because they're white and with these very long beaks this is one of the wildfowl species that I'm trying to sort of draw attention to that you can go to wetlands and find for yourself Tell me
0: about others that you've got. What what about these two over here?
3: This little one is a heron. This is an owl. This is depiction more of an atmosphere, an early morning. It's called Morning Story, uh, where the sun's coming up. I'm often trying to sort of depict a bug's eye view. So if you were a little beetle sitting on a blade of grass and the sun was coming up, and you'd see these silhouettes of all these birds circling and sweeping around. Again, over here, this is a similar kind of idea where I'm trying to create this sense of what it's like to be in amongst in a way that human beings can never actually get this glimpse. It's only if you live here and you spend your whole time in this bog or this mud um, looking up that you would get this sense. But I'm also trying to capture that kind of storybook aspect that where you have a picture which is shows you all the creatures that live in the wood or all the creatures that live in the in in, here in the bog um, are uh, you know are depicted here
0: and the plants as well but look what I'm looking at is a bird yes, and it's made out of a piece of
3: newspaper so the background is a watercolour painting and all the foreground elements, all the birds and plants and so on, are collage. And I paint the paper, usually not printed paper, but sometimes occasionally printed paper. And I paint it in different textures and so on. And then I place, place things onto the surface. So how long, how long would it take to
0: make, create,
3: design, paint, paint and make um, this particular one that we're looking at? This particular one, which is called Storm Dawn, would have taken me, well, probably a couple of days to kind of do the painting. Um, I'd probably do that in two or three stages of watercolor. And then I will make a kind of palette of plants and things out and, and, and birds and so on. And then placing them would probably take a day um, so, you know, a few days cutting out, um, a few days placing, a few days gluing down. And then I stand back from, you know, wait and see. So, for instance, this one over here, this is called City Marshes, and this is an attempt to describe the, the fact that nature is thriving, even in these kind of barren, quite barren urban spaces. They are jungles, really. There are all kinds of creatures living here and what we want to do all the time is bring more nature into our cities it's already there but we need to encourage it more so just
0: describe for me what we can see in this painting because it's absolutely full of gorgeous plants and animals isn't it
3: thank you well it's called city marshes and it's uh, potentially somewhere like the east of east end of London I started out wanting to paint mud <laughs> so the, yes. the background is a kind of purpling, purply dark colour and then it goes into the orange glow of sunset and the sunset on the water. And then in the foreground there are wildflowers, insects, leaves, plants. And then the sky is filled with birds circling before they come into roost for the night. And they might be hawks or gulls or other small birds finding a place to to rest or finding food before they rest for the night in the dark. I'm developing a a sequence now of urban wetlands pictures where we're reminded that, you know, adjacent to buildings there there is wildness. Have you got a pond in your garden, Jessica. (laughs) I feel you should have if you haven't. We have a very small pond. (laughs) It's not much of a wetland.
0: (laughs) Not yet, maybe. No. Have you been an artist all your life, Jessica?
3: Yes, I have. Although I had suppressed my, (laughs) my work as an artist for several decades when I was working in journalism. But I could put my hand on my heart and say yes I've always been an artist I just wasn't a practicing artist for several years many years because I didn't think I could make a living at it and I barely do now but I'm trying <laughs> my best
0: so people can come and see this exhibition at Victoria Art Gallery it's on till April the 11th and it's free it's thank you free. so much for talking to me today Not and showing well. me around it was a pleasure thank you thanks to Jessica Palmer there talking about her exhibition Wetland Spring. And now for a complete change of scene, literally. Perry Harris is the second artist in our trio. His day job is being the caretaker at the Royal High School up on Lansdowne. And when he's not doing that, he's a cartoonist depicting all of Bath's life and grumbles. One of his other passions is painting the parts of Bath's landscape he loves the best. When I arrived at the school, I asked Perry, where could we go to record the interview? And he just said, follow me. So when was this tower
2: built, or the school built? The uh, school was built about 1860. Okay. And there was a bell originally in this tower, which you can see the pulleys, which also ran the clock as well, for the weights for the... There he is. 91, 92... 93,
0: 94, 95. Mm-hmm. Nearly at the top, I think.
2: Yes. Yeah, we're, we're just just below the top of the tower. It's absolutely
0: extraordinary. And you can see right the way round Bath mm. from every side. Absolutely beautiful. And you've got some books here. So, Perry, tell me what kind of art you like to do.
2: Um, I mainly like drawing cartoons. And I spent about 10 years drawing cartoons at Bath. And after about a thousand cartoons, I was getting a bit bored with that. So I started looking more at the landscape around Bath and, did, and started doing watercolours.
0: Let's just start with this book. It's called Late October by Perry Harris. Uh, and this is a book of your beautiful, beautiful landscapes around Bath. So look at that. there. So it's a book of watercolours. Just tell me what
2: some of them are. These were sort of mainly done sort during the... or just before the lockdown, actually. So, so I just sort of documented all the watercolours I did throughout the year.
0: Beautiful pictures of trees, primrose hill, Cotswold Way. I've done a lot of Cotswold Way. Lovely colours, really rich reds and blues and greens.
2: Uh, yeah, there are... So one of my favourite areas to walk is Primrose Hill, so I draw that a lot, or paint that a lot.
0: Tell me where Primrose Hill is.
2: Uh, Primrose Hill's a community woodland. It's just behind Kingswood Hill, Kingswood School, just over the road. Um, and it's just a sort of community woodland. It's grown up over the last 20 years or so. I think there are three ways into it. You can come walk down from Beckford's Tower and approach it from that direction... There's an e- entrance just behind Kingswood School and there's another entrance from Weston as well.
0: Oh, and they've got lovely pictures of it here.
2: Yeah, I've got a, a, a favourite tree in the middle that I've um, painted about 50 times, I think. Just a, And you can just sort of watch the seasons sort of ch- develop every time you walk around there.
0: These were done during the pandemic, weren't they? This one is entitled Darkwood 2. And it's this rich blues and greens. But you feel you're in the heart of a dark wood. And these trees, bushy Norwood, fourth of fourth of October 2020. Beautiful oranges and greens and blues. Lovely, rich colours. <laughs> is, is that inspired by the landscape, those colours?
2: Yeah, I'd say we walk sort of, um, we sort of go walking a lot around path because there's so much beautiful scenery around and uh, I'd say there are sort of just a few favourite places that I like to paint really.
0: So Primrose Hill is one.
2: Yeah, and Smallcombe's a favourite place to walk as well.
0: Oh, Smallcombe Vale, which is yeah. opposite us as I look yeah. out of the window.
2: Yeah. yeah, and just places on the skyline walk really, yeah.
0: Before you got interested in landscapes, you said you were really doing cartoons. Yeah. Tell me about the cartoons. What inspires those?
2: I think just sort of walking around town and just different things catch your eye, or just sort of looking at the weather and and just events happening in Bath. And I just sort of developed a sort of style of doing these and putting them on Twitter, really.
0: Do you sell them to any newspapers or websites? Yeah.
2: No, not really, no. Not, not think, a political cartoonist? No, slightly, but no, mainly I just sort of draw them and then move on to the next drawing, really.
0: And they're rich colours, aren't they? I mean, look at that. That one is bright blues, pinks, greens and golds, really. And that's a city landscape with wasps, or are they yeah. bees? Yes.
2: Yeah, these are... Sort of like, these are sort of line drawings that are coloured digitally and recently I've sort of gone back to line drawing again and I've started using coloured inks which you get the same sort of vivid you nearly get the same vivid colours that you can get digitally Tell me about this one This one?
0: Let's describe it first Paul. Uh,
2: This kind of a giant bear at the end of the paragon I just It makes it quite interesting to put a large creature in a in a sort of town environment, really, just to create an interesting image, really. But often they're just sort of about the usual problems that people complain about in Bath, like traffic and things like that. And
0: rats, maybe. Rats,
2: (laughs) Rats, yeah.
0: (laughs) And birds. There's a big bird going across the moon there, isn't there? Little rats scurrying below.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and it's... um, It's quite interesting to use the buildings in Bath as a background and create an interesting image out of it, really.
0: How long have you lived in Bath? Uh,
2: I moved to Bath in 1984.
0: So decades. (laughs) And tell me about, because I know that you do the flyers, don't you, for the Forest of Imagination. What is the Forest of Imagination?
2: Uh, The Forest of Imagination is a children's art festival. Uh, When it started a few years ago, a lot of their ideas sort of tied in with what i was thinking about at the time and so i did a few images to help them promote it and i've continued doing that for about seven or eight years now and it's grown into quite a big event now
0: when when is it held
2: uh, it's held at, and well there are several events throughout the year but it's mainly one big event a year and this year is it the being held at the assembly rooms which made me think of lots of the Sort of a quite classic Georgian cartoons to the assembly room, so I've kind of done a forest ball image for that.
0: Perry, we work here in this beautiful school. Do the children get to see your art?
2: Uh, I've always done quite a lot of artwork for the school. I've done Christmas cards for the last 20, 24 years, something like 25 years. And I do quite a lot of leaving cards and backdrops for plays and things like that.
0: Oh, wow, well, so you can you can go really large yeah
2: <laughs> yeah 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 there's um, quite a big drama hall and i've done a few backdrops for that
0: has art always been a passion since you were at school yourself
2: yes yeah, yeah i've always enjoyed drawing painting yeah yeah
0: so i think we're going to go if we've got time just go a little bit further up and see if we can see the very top of this beautiful tower the vertical ladders, isn't it? Vertical ladders. Oh, I see, right, okay. It's up to you. Yeah, yeah, let's go up the vertical ladders. Wow. Um. Okay. Oh, so we're on one platform where the water tanks are. And we're going up to a further platform. Oh,
2: and a third vertical ladder. This is where it gets new faint heights.
0: Yeah, I'm fine with heights. And he's going with a key. And there's a, there's a huge steel trap door. Oh, and the skylight opened and the light poured in. Wow, Perry, this is extraordinary. I'm on the very top of the tower. Ah! <gasps> And the flagpole's up here, and the, oh, there's a little tiny corner steeple with gargoyles looking at me menacingly. How often do you come up here?
2: Uh, I sometimes come to put flags up, or if um, or if there's a spectacular sunrise, I might sneak up extra early just to have a, the sun comes up over the valley.
0: It's absolutely fabulous, isn't it? Let's have a look. Oh, I'm going to go to the edge now. There's lands downhill going to the left of me.
2: Lansdowne Crescent and then you can see the Royal Crescent sort of nestled in oh, just yes. in it. It's
0: really in with the landscape, isn't it?
2: Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, and Alexandra Park opposite. Yeah. And Lincoln Hill Fields and Smallcombe Vale and then over to mm. Pryor Park.
2: And then around to the university and right the way across the valley to Salisbury Hill.
0: There's no park bath, you can't see from up here. Gosh, well, I feel very privileged to be up here.
2: I'd say three hours ago, it was foggy and you couldn't see anything. But, so it's all cleared.
0: <laughs> I think you should do a whole series of watercolors or <laughs> digital prints from up here.
2: But yes, it's a very sort of, unique view of Bath.
0: You could really have you could have your big creatures sitting <laughs> on the top here.
2: Yes, <laughs> we could use some of the gargoyles.
0: And a cat peering round from the top of the spire. Thanks so much to Perry Harris for taking me to the very top of the tower in the Royal High School. That was an adventure I was not expecting. Now it's time to conclude our trio of artists with Marion Hill. Now, have you ever found yourself wondering which one of the 26 species of ladybirds you were looking at? And if so, did you just long for a handy chart somewhere near for you to look at? Well, I'll tell you what, our final artist has lovingly and painstakingly produced beautiful identification posters of beetles and bugs, mini beasts and pollinators, butterflies and bees. I caught up with her at a community event in Whiteway.
4: My name is Marion. I'm an illustrator and the last two and a half years I've been illustrating all the insects I can find in and around my home in Bath. So it started off as a project I thought would take a couple of weeks and now I'm two years in and I've illustrated over 150 species and that's only just getting started. So I have learned a lot because I didn't know anything when I began
0: Really? And you've brought some posters here today, some beautiful... Well, they're not posters, are they? I mean, they're boards with the most luscious bugs and beetles on one of them and butterflies on the other. Tell me about those.
4: Yes, so I'm working with Bathscape, and we've been putting posters up in parks and in different playgrounds, and we're working with schools, because most people have absolutely no idea how many species there are actually in the city. And we see lots of nature programmes that go into foreign countries and jungles but actually in our own urban gardens and parks and even on pavements in the cracks between things there are all these incredible creatures that are busy um, working away and we just don't notice they're there so the project is really trying to draw attention to how important insects are the diversity in our city and then making people realize how vital they are. Because when I started, like I said, I didn't know anything. I didn't know we had dung beetles cleaning poo away for us. I didn't know there's beetles uh, that cleanse and sort out dead creatures that are you know, rotting in your garden. I didn't know that there's loads of pest control beetles that sort out aphids and eat slugs and snails. So I think if everybody knew how many amazing things there were living in their garden, then they'd want to protect them. And that's really what we're trying to do.
0: And you're a lecturer in on the illustration course at UWE but what led you to be so interested in, I think Beatles was your
4: first love, was it? Yeah, I organised to take a group of my illustration students to the Natural History Museum in London. So I've got a friend, Helen Hardy that is working in the digitisation department and their aim is to photograph and get online all 80 million specimens in the museum so that they can be a tool for research internationally. And The staff are amazing. They gave me and the students a tour round and one of the departments they showed us was the insect department in the vaults in the basement. And the head curator gave us an incredibly interesting talk about climate change and why research and sharing information is important. And I think that stayed with me for a couple of years really and then I realised that I could use my illustration skills to help highlight the diversity of insects in our city in Bath and I could do the sort of same thing that I could communicate to the local people what we have and then we could start protecting it. So all your bugs and butterflies are local to Bath, is that right? Nearly every single one. I've been working with a local entomologist, Mike Williams, who has been incredibly helpful to me because I didn't know anything to start with. So I spot things and then he tells me what they are. And when I illustrate, he tells me if I make any mistakes. And uh, he gives me species lists when I'm looking at a specialist area. So, for example, I've done a poster all about pest control and waste disposal experts that are beetles and he helped me with a species list. So, with the help of so many experts and friendly people, the project's really growing big, bigger and bigger. I couldn't have done it without help. So, your, your drawings,
0: which are absolutely stunningly beautiful and there's, you can see them on the Bathscape website and you can see them on your website. I imagine you have to be very
4: accurate then. Yes, I realised quite quickly that if I wanted the help of the entomologist community, they have to be accurate. So whereas in my previous life as an illustrator, I could use a lot of artistic um, license when I went made on my work, I used to collage landscapes and things that weren't real, so I had no need to be accurate. But for this project, because the illustrators are being used to identify species, it's really important that they're I'm accurate. So for the first time ever, I've had to pay my new, in, you know, detail interest to try and get everything everything right.
0: And what do you use to paint with?
4: Well anybody can do this at home, I don't actually paint at all. I cut up old magazines so all my illustrations are made from magazines that people have given me and old photographs and photographs now that I've taken of textures that look like they're insects or even photographs I've taken of real insects now. I have a little photo macro lens on my phone that I click on if I see something and I photograph the bug. Then I get them printed out when there's a cheap deal and I collage using the printouts and old magazines and bits and bobs so anyone at home can use my technique there is nothing fancy about it it's just snipping paper and sticking it down with a craft glue like pva that's all it is but they end up looking like photographs Um, so yeah do try it at home and i absolutely would love to work with lots of schools and see what kids can do making their own collages of local insects it would be great fun
3: That's absolutely
0: fascinating. I had no idea they were collages. I assumed you'd used a paintbrush.
4: Nope, and that's why it's so simple. So you can just snip. If you see a bit of a red in a magazine, you just chop it out, and that can be a ladybird. It's a very simple method, but I wouldn't advise you cut up things without asking someone first. (laughs) No, good point. In a nutshell, what are you trying to achieve with your art? I think, like loads of people, I'm really worried about the loss of diversity and species. Climate change was sending me into a spiral of despair, to be honest, a few years ago. I'd got to the point where I was feeling ill. And this project has helped me feel that I'm making a positive difference, even if it's very small and local at this stage. And so it's helped me with my mental health, and it makes me feel like I'm doing something positive.
0: You are. You really are. They're absolutely stunning. Thank you so much for... For, for showing them us today because this 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 the day-to-day is absolutely full of families and children who've been pouring over your beautiful pictures
4: it's so lovely seeing people connect with them that's the best part because when you do the work you're at home on your own and you know you don't see it and when you put the posters up and you see people chatting about what they're looking at and then going out and hunting for things it's really rewarding
0: And so what's the next challenge? What's on the horizon?
4: I guess spread the project. If we could get every single town in the country to do the same thing and we could get everybody wanting to look after insects and make their urban environments insect-friendly, I think that would just be phenomenal. How are, you going to do it for, how are you going to do that? Well, it's <laughs> it's slowly, slowly happening by itself. So uh, as I tweet things out, schools are contacting me from around the country and different organisations come to me. And with the help of Bathscape, we're reaching more and more local schools and groups as well. So, yeah, I think it's naturally starting to spread without me really doing very much, which is really exciting. It's pollinating. Yeah, it is pollinating, <laughs> yes. Wind dispersal. <laughs> That's good. Oh.
0: Thanks so much to Marion Hill, Perry Harris and Jessica Palmer, all artists creating magic and increasing our love of the beautiful landscape surrounding Bath. And thanks to Dan for putting their work in context for us. You can see contemporary artists' works around trees and landscape this summer at the Forest of Imagination, which will run from the 14th of June at the Assembly Rooms in Bath. Well, that's it for this episode of Footprints. Thank you for joining me. And don't forget, you can listen to all the previous episodes anytime you like. Please do share as widely as you can with friends, family and colleagues. And for more information on Barscape, visit the website, barscape.co.uk. We're grateful to the National Lottery Heritage Fund for supporting our work. Footprints was hosted and produced by me, Pommy Harmer. And I'll see you next month.